You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Meet you yet. I'm one of the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach. My name is Brenna Rubio. So good to be with everyone this morning. And I am especially excited because I get to introduce you all to someone really, really awesome this morning. It feels like it was just forever ago, way back in like November, December, we started talking about as a church that we needed to expand our staff team at City Church of Long Beach, that we were looking for someone uh, who would be able to especially just help us in all of our efforts with the neighborhood, to love our neighborhood of Wrigley well. And so we shared with you just that that was was part of our vision uh, for this year in 2021. And so, you know, we have um, spent quite a bit of time um, just exploring, connecting, networking, interviewing. And this morning, we have a new staff member here at City Church of Long Beach to introduce you to. Uh, And she is just amazing. And so I want to invite my new friend uh, and our new team member here at City Church of Long Beach, Diani Spinella, to unmute so you can all uh, get to know her just a little bit and welcome her warmly here to City Church of Long Beach. Diani, you out there? Hi, Brenna. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for having me. I'm very thankful for the opportunity. I am a really neighbor, so I'm very happy to be part of this um, very tight community. Thank you very much. Oh, we're so, so glad. So, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, who you are, how do you spend most of your time during the week, and who do you spend it with? Because that's a big deal, too. Sure. Yes, well, my weeks are very busy. I actually run my own daycare here in the Wrigley area. So we have, we actually have a full house right now. We have about 14 kids enrolled. Um, so that's what I do most of the week, aside from working part-time with the church right now. And I spend most of my days with my mother and my, and my husband, not my father, my husband who helps me manage um, the daily organized chaos that we have at home every day. That's so great. And I think we, there's a picture in the digital handout so you guys can see Diani's husband. And I'm sure we'll be seeing him occasionally around too, which is so awesome. We'll get to know him as well. Um, tell us a little bit, like, what's your favorite way to relax? It sounds like you're really busy, but in your downtime, when you have yeah. it, what do you like to do? So for downtime, I'm really, um, I've always been a lot into singing. I like to cook a lot. My husband is vegan, so we're big into finding a really good vegan restaurant. So we're out almost every week just trying a vegan restaurant to see what he likes. Um, We also like to travel. So we do a lot of short road trips every now and then, maybe like once a month. And then we also like collecting art pieces. Wow, that's awesome. And we really like Disneyland, but we're not crazy. We really like Disneyland, but we're not (laughs) crazy. No, that's awesome. So I feel like you have to give a couple of recommendations. So what's one really good vegan restaurant and one really good day trip you've gone to? Um, Well, the best vegan restaurant in Southern California, I think it's called the Yasai in San Diego. Best ramen I've ever had in my life. And then in the area, it would have to be maybe Seabirds. Okay. Yes. I see some vegans popping in the chat, so I'm sure some people are taking notes if they have. Oh yes, I would love to connect. I hope. Yes, (laughs) yes, I love seabirds. It's really good. I really like their curry, cauliflower lentil stew. Ah, awesome. Yes, it's really good. 
Yes. So how did you first get connected to City Church? Tell us a little bit about that. Because it so, wasn't just like for this job. Yes. No, no, no. Like I've said before, I really, I really pride myself on just getting to know neighbors. I think it's really important. So on Facebook group, um, there's a Facebook group for the Wrigley neighbors. And I noticed Bill <laughs> popping up every now and then. He's very active online. And so... I always said, like, oh, this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I was like, I should remember this guy's name. He looks like he knows a lot of people in town just in case anything happens. You know, you never know. And then um, a neighbor of mine ended up passing away. And I reached out to Bill to help me out put together a vigil for them. And even though it was a stranger, like he immediately just you know jumped into action we put it together and i know that was something that was very meaningful to the neighbors a lot of people showed up it was just very very nice how all the neighbors really came to show their love and support to the neighbors and so from there we kind of kept in touch then he asked me if i wanted to join the wrigley team uh food team and i did and i have been doing that almost every weekend and that's how i came across the chance to join the team with this um, job opportunity. And I thought, you know, I'm already kind of into it. I really like how I feel when I'm helping out. So let's give it a try. And, you know, it's been, it's been about maybe about a month and a half since we started the interviewing procedure and all that. Mm -hmm. And here I am. Here you are. So as you're, I mean, you're just, we've just started waiting in over this last week, you know, you're kind of a weekend. But when you think about it, what excites you? Like what motivates you when you think about this job? You know, I really like getting to know the neighbors. Even I think maybe like three weeks ago, Bill had a small barbecue at his house. And just knowing the different things people do, you know, like Megan teaching um, math over online, then we have Bill with everything he does. I just think I really love the sense of community. I miss that from school. I miss that from college, from living on campus. Um, I think by nature, humans are a community sense group, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I really miss that. And if I'm gonna stay here in Wrigley for a long time, I would like to get to know more of like who lives in what house and what do they do? And how can we work together and make this a better place? Yeah. Yeah, that's so awesome. And that is exactly what we've sensed in you. You're so friendly, friendly, organized, and you want to make Wrigley a better place. So we are so excited to be on the team with you. Thank you. Is there you. anything Thank else you, for the you want the church to know, you know, as you get started here? Well, I'm going to put my email on the message. Perfect. Uh, for the people who want to reach out to me, just in case. Um, I just wanted to say that I'm open to suggestions, comments. I think, you know, this is new for me. So there's a lot to learn. Um, or even if you just want to say hello, have a, you know, have another friendly, <laughs> friendly person in the neighborhood. I'm open to that. So I'm going to leave my message there. Text me if you guys need anything. Or maybe if you're a family going through something right now that you need some help, but maybe you're a little shy about asking for it right here, obviously, because it's so many of us, feel free to reach out to me. Um, it's something that maybe we can look into and hopefully be able to help you out. But yeah, I just wanted to make myself available. 
Thank you so much, Diani. That's awesome. And friends, I know that you're going to be super welcoming. And uh, yeah, let's pray for Diani too. We all know what it's like to start a new job. It's a lot all at once. So, but Diani, <laughs> thank you. Awesome. I see all the messages on the bottom. Thank you so much to everybody commenting on it. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Diani. Okay, Bill, pitching it to you. Super excited to have you, Diani. So, thank you, so Bill. great. Um, and particularly excited that Brenna Rubio is your supervisor and not me. I think we can all celebrate <laughs> that as well. So. Um, so today we welcome special guest preacher, guru, Joshua Halandoun. Joshua, are you there somewhere out in the ether? Hey, everyone. I'm here, Bill. Uh, there you go. I, I, in, in your honor, I wore my hat today, Joshua. Um, Joshua is actually from Chicago. This is true. Are you a Cubs fan? Are you a Cubs I am fan? a Cubs fan through and yeah. through. Sorry so about that. A, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but he lives in San Francisco where he is kind of the youth director for our sister church, City Church of San Francisco. So super excited to have you with us today, Joshua. Uh, it's a real, real gift. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Charmaine Sumner, are you out there? I think I see you. Uh, can you unmute and read some scripture for us today as we... Hi. Thank you. Yeah. Lead, lead us off, Charmaine. Okay. Philippians 3, 2 to 11. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boasts in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for, for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Charmaine. Joshua, thanks for uh, coming and helping us sort through this and uh, take it away. Thanks, Bill. Hey, City Church Long Beach. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's a real tremendous honor uh, to be with you all on this Pentecost Sunday. Um, I know that our churches have a longstanding rapport, um, and I'm Grateful to be included here. This is such, it feels like such a warm space you've been able to cultivate even over Zoom. So I feel that warmth, even though I'm not physically present with you. Um, so yeah, thank you for having me. I wanna thank uh, Bill just for his hospitality and kindness 
um, that he's shown me uh, as we've gotten to know each other through our classes together. And uh, it's really wonderful to be with you this morning. I'm, I'm really honored and grateful for this gift that you've also entrusted to me to listen to the scripture well and to bring that before us today. Um, I know that the scripture that Charmaine read is a very familiar uh, New Testament text. And, uh, you know, when I approached this text, there was so much um, that I needed to unlearn about this really well-known text uh, for us today. So I hope to unpack it um, in a way that really meets us um, in a specific context. I know that this, this passage met me specifically um, at the, I think at the end of a school year that was pretty exhausting, 2020, 2021 is kind of combined school year um, for me. And it, if you feel exhausted today, uh, if that's you, I'm really trusting that God's spirit wants to meet us. Um, however, we're showing up, if you're like me, exhausted, if your anxiety filled, or if you have different stresses going on in your life, I hope that we can hear this passage uh, afresh uh, today. So um, you might notice um, from my background, uh, I have a little Chicago poster here. And as Bill said, I'm originally uh, from Chicago. I came uh, on staff at City Church San Francisco on November uh, 2019, which is four months before the pandemic hit. And uh, needless to say, it's been one of the strangest seasons of uh, ministry, especially uh, with teenagers. I've had to do uh, kind of what we're doing right now and meet with my uh, youth over Zoom. And uh, that's, been, that's been difficult for me because I'm, I'm a pretty relational person um, and I've really missed um, moments where I'm just able to hang out with our students. Um, but one of my favorite parts about quarantine, even though it's been hard, being from Chicago is, was being able to watch the last dance on ESPN. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We got some basketball fans in the house. There we go. All right. It's this documentary about Michael Jordan, the 97, 98 Bulls. And no matter how crazy things got in quarantine, Melody and I, after a long week, would sit down and I would just relive my childhood. Um, I was uh, a kid growing up in Chicago in the 90s, and I wanted to be like Mike. Uh, MJ and the Chicago Bulls were my idols. My most prized possession was my basketball card collection of uh, the Bulls players. If you've seen the movie Silver Linings Playbook, uh, I am Robert De Niro's character in that, in that movie. Like I was just as superstitious at my ability to determine the outcome of certain games. He has like controllers facing the certain way and he has like a certain amount of family members needing to be in the room at the same time. Like I was just as superstitious. Like I believe that as a third grader, like if I missed a game, like the Chicago and the Chicago Bulls lost, that was on me. That was my fault. Um, I, I really believe that it was my thinking that uh, the Chicago Bulls franchise was dependent on the positive juju that I was bringing. Um, and so I watched this documentary in quarantine. I have this newfound respect for my childhood hero. And then I also see uh, the shadow side of my hero that this greatness that Michael Jordan definitely has uh, came at the cost of putting other people down, uh, whether that was his opponents or whether that was his own teammates. And there's just kind of crazy lengths that he would go if you've seen the documentary. And that's what made it so controversial is that Michael 
would bully some of his teammates. Um, there was one story about how he would also treat his opponents. He would make stories about his own opponents uh, to motivate himself to dominate them on the court. And that's kind of what it took uh, for Michael to win, in his words, at all costs. And some of us might see that and watch that. And even though we think uh, Michael Jordan is a great basketball player, uh, we might think that that's kind of over the top, you know, in your drive to win. I think that that's true, but I also think that most of us can also relate to Michael in a certain way. Um, we relate to Michael's uh, desire to tap into his ambition to compete with others and to get ahead in life. Um, and so this kind of selfish ambition to win at all costs, to get what we want, is kind of a similar situation that the Apostle Paul finds himself in in uh, Philippi. You know, when the letter opens, the letter um, Paul writes to the Philippians opens where Paul's describing certain opponents that he has. Um, and in chapter one, he identifies these people in the church who are preaching the gospel out of envy and jealousy towards him and uh, competition and rivalry with Paul. And I'm really glad, you know, that, you know, after reading that, that Christians like don't try to do that. Um, we don't try to dunk on each other like that today. And we're, we're, we're more evolved now. We've evolved past this. No, we still do this. We still try to motivate ourselves like this because it makes us look good and it keeps us head of the pack. And Paul notices that this kind of spirit of competition is seeped into the Philippian church. They're kind of getting influenced by this. And so he starts off his letter um, and he tells them, um, this is Philippians 2, uh, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regards others as better than yourselves. Let each one of you look not to your own interests, but the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And so he's right off the bat, the Apostle Paul is admonishing, encouraging the Philippians to adopt this mindset, be like Jesus, who empties himself of power and privilege, puts other people's interests before their own. And so when we arrive at chapter three, there's this is the test right this is if paul is practicing is, is paul really practicing what he's preaching or is he just blowing smoke so chapter three is our litmus test and that's where we're going to camp um today um so in philippians 3 4 to 6 we get to test paul and we get this really startling confession for paul that he has this outright refusal to use his status his privilege his accomplishments in a self-promoting ways. So first of all, here's Paul, and he's a person of authority. He's an apostle in the church. He's a leader in the church. But that's not all, right? He has this Israelite lineage and all these kinds of religious accomplishments that he can claim to get a higher status in the church. And so it should be odd to us readers that Paul is approaching his authority um, and his status and his accomplishments in a way that he does. Um, he talks about like letting go of um, these things. He talks about, uh, he's talking down his pedigree and his accomplishments. He says things like, I see this as loss. I view it as trash. Um, 
this also might be uh, the one time that we hear maybe scholars might, uh, there's some scholars who think that Paul's using an expletive when he's referring to his pedigree and his accomplishments. That's, um, and it's not a flattering picture that Paul is painting. He's using strong language about this. So like, what is, what is exactly going on here? Is this a, a kind of self-hatred that Paul is promoting? I don't think so. I think that Paul is looking at his status and accomplishments. And during that time, being an Israelite was really advantageous to Christians because it showed that you, were, you had a distinct place in the people of God. Your, your ethnicity as an Israelite showed that you belonged in the people of God as opposed to Gentiles who were outside the people of God, right? Like us, were brought into Israel's story. Paul was a part of the people of God. And then not only that, he lays out his educational upbringing, um, verses four to six. This is Paul's resume, which is extremely impressive. He lays out all of his religious accomplishments, and he shows to the Philippians he's not an ordinary Jew. Paul is the cream of the crop, the best of the best. He's the disciple that should have been chosen before the rest of the 12, right? Um, this is who, um, this is how high in status Paul was, right? And so there are many people who would look at Paul and say, Paul, you got to leverage that for your benefit. You got to use that for your advantage as a leader in the church. And Paul says, no. He says, that's what everyone else has their accomplished and has their confidence in. And I don't want to get caught up in that. And so I think some of us can relate to what Paul is protecting against. I think that Paul is getting at this innate desire in all of us to try to justify ourselves, to try to prove our worth in, to one degree or another. I think all of us have that basic um, human impulse to try to prove that we mean something, that we matter, that we're enough. And we do this as individuals, we do this as tribes. And so for instance, uh, like some of you, uh, yeah, I grew up uh, fairly conservative. Uh, part of my story is walking away from evangelical Christianity because of what I saw as a lot of hypocrisy. And uh, in, in my upbringing, um, and in the circles I ran in, we would talk a lot about grace and radical love. And I feel like in my experience, so few of us actually believe that for ourselves. And we still had this desire that Paul is getting at to justify ourselves and to prove our worth. And so the past few years, you know, I ended up leaving evangelicalism uh, for a more progressive or post-evangelical faith community. And uh, for a little bit, you know, I, I think I'm in the clear, right? Um, I arrive and I'm hanging out with more progressive uh, Christians. And uh, it slowly dawns on me that what I discovered was, you know, even amongst progressive Christians, like we still have this desire to justify ourselves and to prove our worth. And so for instance, you know, we like to talk a lot about like injustice and standing in solidarity with the oppressed. And uh, one of the helpful terms that um, I learned this past year was a technical term called performative solidarity. And this is when you can outwardly enact your commitment towards ju to justice and stand in solidarity with the oppressed, right? And so we do things like read a book or attend a march or go through a class. Um, we are active on social media. We volunteer at this. 
And most of it is a performance, right? Uh, it can be performative only. It can be an outside facade. And I'm not saying that any of those things are bad. I'm not saying that we should stop to um, stop educating ourselves or showing up for our siblings who are least in the faith. But if I'm honest, sometimes I can't tell if our actions have more to do with us justifying ourselves and less to do with whether or not we actually care about the least of our siblings who suffer from oppression and injustice. And I'm not the spirit, so I can't, I can't, I don't know people's hearts, but I know mine. And it bothers me when I see myself becoming what I left behind. And so, you know, speaking for myself, you know, I, I can give money uh, to our community center um, here in SF in the Tenderloin neighborhood that serves um, our neighbors uh, experiencing homelessness. And I, I can volunteer there with our students. Um, but then there are days where I don't have to think about the poor. I don't have to think about our neighbors experiencing homelessness. And sometimes I'm not sure if it's all a facade. And so if you can relate to any of that. Here's the kicker, when you and I settle for the facade and when we get caught up in trying to prove ourselves constantly, uh, this requires a lot of upkeep. And Paul's invitation to us today, he's telling us like, I don't wanna play that game because isn't that game exhausting when you allow your selfish ambition to drive this constant need for you to prove yourself and justify yourself before others. And so um, one time when Michael Jordan was uh, inducted in the Hall of Fame, uh, I, I, like a lot of people, saw his Hall of Fame speech. And I remember uh, how the speech went. It started off great. It started off really celebratory. You know, it was really emotional. He started to congratulate, you know, um, all the people who've helped him. And at some point it devolves. If you've seen his Hall of Fame speech, at some point it devolves into him going after his rivals and enemies. At some point it gets really hard to watch. And um, I remember first watching it and my first impression when I saw that um, his speech was the saddest part about all that to me. Um, Michael, as great as he is, it's sad that even after all of his accomplishments in a moment where he can he just needs to celebrate Seems like he still feels this constant need to prove himself. And Paul tells us in his example, like, let go of this need to prove yourself. Give that energy towards a higher and greater good, knowing Jesus, knowing Christ. That's so much better. That is of greater value. It's of the highest value. And so Paul says, uh, Philippians 3, 7 to 8, whatever gains I have, these I've come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I know of all of us hear that. And I know some of us say, what does that mean? What is, if Paul is telling us not to choose selfish ambition and to choose knowing Christ, what does it mean to know Christ? Why is that better than following our ambition? And what kind of knowledge is Paul getting at um, when he talks about knowing Christ? And so in 2015, 
Uh, I, I lived in LA, uh, so I could attend seminary. Um, my wife, Melody, and I we were Midwesterners moving to the West Coast. And there's a lot to adjust to if you're a Midwesterner uh, moving to the West Coast. Uh, there's a sprawling landscape. There's wildfires. Uh, there's uh, the fact that everyone on the road in LA drives like a maniac, present company included. Um, but, but living in Hollywood, uh, one of the things that I loved getting acclimated to uh, was how to deal with uh, celebrity sightings. This is one of my favorite things about living in LA was you had this chance that you could see a celebrity um, at one point or another. Um, so I'm a big fan of movies and TV shows. And if you, uh, if you lived in LA, which many of you do, so I know that I'm, I'm explaining this to, to people who already know this, but there is an art to meeting celebrities, right? Um, I don't know anything about bird watching, but I imagine it's a bit like that. It, when you spot a rare bird in the wild, you try not to draw too much attention to it. You get too excited right away, the celebrity gets scared off, right? So you can't be starstruck whenever you see a celebrity. You just gotta play it cool. Whenever you spot that B-list or C-list celebrity that you happen to see in public, you cannot freak out. You just gotta, just gotta take it in. You just gotta be like, you know, yeah, that is that kid from Stranger Things who's hanging out in Echo Park at the same time as me. And I just gotta take that in and just relish that, right? You gotta play it cool. And so I attended uh, a church in Santa Monica, which is 25 miles away from my house in Pasadena. And uh, there was the front man of a successful uh, electronic pop band uh, called Empire of the Sun. Uh, and the front man, his name is Luke Steele. Shout out to Luke. What's up, Luke, if you ever see this for whatever reason. Um, yeah, he went to my church, right? So I lead worship at my church on Sundays. And just as a disclaimer, it's a tad intimidating to lead worship in front of this guy, um, not least because uh, musical arrangements for worship songs are, are pretty uh, basic. Um, so he'd attend our church and I never actually met him. I'd always try to play it cool. I'd be doing ministry anyways. Um, but one day our lead pastor texts me, um, the beginning of the week. And he says, Hey, I want you to come to this event at Luke Steele's house. Um, it's the fastest I've ever responded to a church event. And I've been attending church all my life. And I text Nathan, our lead pastor back immediately. And I say, I'll be there. And can I bring Melody? Um, Melody's my wife. Uh, and so we, we end up going to this meeting at Luke's house. I get to meet him and, and I prepare myself. I rehearse this, do not lose it when you meet him. Just act cool, play your card straight, right? Um, so I end up meeting him at his house uh, and I acted like I didn't know who he was. Like, oh, you are, yeah, all right. So I play all that, I introduce myself and turns out when I meet him, he knows my name, right? And he compliments my voice in front of like a lot of our congregation who are there. And when he says all that, he says this in this really cool Australian accent. He's like, oh, Josh, the guy with the beautiful voice. I might be butchering that, but that's how he sounds like in my mind. Um, and I'm like melting inside, right? I'm like this high school teenager who's met their crush and I'm melting, right? but I don't show it. I'm like, wait, play it cool for the rest of the night. Just wait until you and Melody drive off. 
So the moment Melody and I get in the car, like close the door and Melody and I start freaking out. We're like, oh my gosh, he knows your name. He complimented you. And I rode that way for as long as I could. I put in my resume now. It's like part of my resume. That's how I got the job at City Church San Francisco. Um, just kidding. Um, it's my claim to fame. But I, I tell that, that story, that long-winded story, because it's like the slightest shift, right, in your relationship. The slightest shift can change your relationship with someone, right? How much better you feel when someone famous sees you and knows your name. It goes from this weird just knowing about them to actually having a relationship with them. And I think that's the kind of knowledge that Paul is getting at. It isn't this head knowledge, right? Where I know all these facts about Jesus and God. It's like this intimate knowledge where we're on this first name basis, where we actually hang out and share life with one another, right? Because we have this relationship. And that's what Paul is getting at, because I think some of us know this. We know that there's there are these moments in our Christian life where our knowledge of God stops becoming someone who we just read about or heard about. And all of a sudden we become aware that this is a real presence. The divine is a real presence in our lives. And I think Paul is driving at something that even deeper. Paul is getting at these deeper moments where this presence, this spirit begins to speak and interact and move no longer as a foreign stranger, right? But as a friend, as somebody who knows us and somebody who we know. And Paul's like, that's what I want to know. That's what, I, that's what I'm after. That's the goal that I have in life, not to push myself um, and prop myself up like I'm, I'm all that. But the most valuable thing is for me to know Jesus in this really intimate way. That's a more value than getting any mark of social status or reaching any kind of achievement. Um, some of you know what Paul is getting at. Some of you know, and you've experienced this yourself, but these moments where you could just drop the act and you could just be with God and be aware of God's presence in your life and the spirit of Jesus floods your hearts with beauty and wonder and grace. And you don't have to prove anything anymore. You don't have to justify yourself anymore. And it's such a beautiful relationship that you're able to develop with this God who's reaching out to us, right? And I want to separate what Paul's talking about from this kind of Jesus uh, is my boyfriend uh, theology. That's not what Paul is getting at uh, here, because I think that the relationship that Paul is describing is more expansive than that, right? And so we want to push that toxic theology to the side, but we shouldn't abandon this invitation to know God by knowing Jesus Christ. This is an invitation to commune and know God even deeper. And so when I know Christ in this way, this changes how I relate to God. This changes how I relate to God because when I look at God, I see this God who surrenders his power and privilege for the sake of others. I see this God who uses his power in a certain way, right? who pushes selfish ambition to the side and puts his interests, I mean, puts our interests before his own, right? And when I see how God 
Jesus, the God-man, uses power in that way. Like that changes me. It changes how I see this God who surrenders his privilege, status, and that changes how I relate to God. It makes, I can relate to that God more. I'm more, I find that God more compelling uh, to me. And this also changes how I relate to myself. I don't have to live by trying to justify myself through my performance. If this is how God acts, if this is how the divine acts, then I'm free to not live like that anymore because every person of the Trinity sees me and is working for my good. And so I no longer have to put on this facade that I'm good enough. I don't have to try to justify myself. You know, I don't have any children, but, you know, if I was looking at, um, you know, if I'm ever a father one day and I saw my child acting, how many of you um, and I act on a day-to-day basis where we never feel good enough for God, we never feel like we are enough for God. I'm not a father, but I imagine that kind of emotion would break my heart. And I imagine that that breaks the heart of God when we live our lives in that way, where we're constantly feeling so low about ourselves that we need to prove ourselves constantly. And if that's you today, I just want to remind you that you don't need to feel low about yourself because Jesus was so glad to give himself up for you, was so glad to give his life for you. So glad to give all of it up for you. And so you can be free of having to justify yourself. And knowing Christ also changes how I relate to others, right? I can be free to love them, not for my sake, but for their sake. And so the motivation for working for justice and peace in our world, I'm no longer thinking about myself. I can actually really think about my least sibling in the faith. I can actually really be free to love them and put their interest above my own, right? So that's an expansive knowing, knowledge of God in Jesus. That's what Paul is getting at. And I'll close with this. I know I know that what I'm describing feels like dying. Uh, believe it or not, I really struggle with what Paul is saying here. You know, I'm, I'm a Filipino-American pastor. I've grown up in predominantly white spaces. And so I'm even code switching, you know, even in this, even in this uh, call, because that's, that's what I'm acclimated to. And so when I get to this passage, I'm like, you mean to tell me, Paul, that all these advantages that I have, I'm just supposed to give it up? Filipinos are the second largest. I've, from what I'm told, we're amongst the second largest Asian American population in the US. And we're so underrepresented, despite the fact that we have these numbers. We are rendered invisible, even amongst Asian Americans, because we have this um, ethnically ambiguous 
um, heritage. We don't really fit anywhere. We're colonized under Spain, Southeast Asia, and we have indigenous roots. So we don't even fit amongst Asian Americans. And so as a pastor, I'm like, where is our voice in the conversation on racial justice in America? Where is our distinct place in, in the mission of God in this, in this moment? And so believe me, I want to be affirmed. I want to have a voice. I want to be seen. But I also don't want to get lost in this performance trap. I don't want performing for others to be my motivation. I want knowing Jesus and knowing Christ and orienting myself around his vision for our world. That's what I want to be. That's my motivation. That's what I want to be my motivation. And so I think this passage definitely meets us differently depending on our status, right? Um, it meets us whether we are amongst the most powerful and privileged. Um, Paul is a leader in the church. So he's a lot of privilege and, and status and authority. Um, but this call to know Christ, no one is exempt from it. From the greatest to the least of us, no one is exempt for that, even if it means, even if it means dying to ourselves. Uh, one of my professors in seminary, I'm closing with this. Uh, I know I might be over time. I'm closing this. Uh, one of my seminary's uh, professors was a community organizer uh, named Alexia Salvatierra. Uh, one time uh, she told this story about one of the BIPOC women she was mentoring. Right. Uh, and this girl kept on asking her, because Alexia is a really accomplished community organizer, um, reverend uh, professor. She's saying, Alexia, how do I step into my power? How do I step into my voice and to be seen by others? And Alexia kind of like in her own like gentle pastoral way says, you know, I think you might have it backwards. I think the question for yourself is not how do I step into my power, but how do you step into God's power. How do you step into God's power? I think that's the question for us today. I think that's how this passage meets us today. Um, yeah, is your heart really for the least of these? Is our hearts really geared towards justice and peace in our world? Is that fueled by selfish ambition? Or are we free enough in Christ to give of ourselves to our brothers and sisters, our siblings who are least in the faith? Are, are we confident enough that we know Christ um, and are orienting ourselves around his purposes and his kingdom that we are stepping into God's power today? And so that's um, my challenge for us today is that wherever you find yourself, um, brothers and sisters in Christ, may you step into God's power May you lose yourself in order to find yourself in Jesus today.